0: Welcome in Lake Kick is live. It is Tuesday night, August 17th, Year of Our Lord 2021. Very excited. We've got a lot of wheels in motion around here, but in the immediacy, we've got a jam-packed show tonight. I know right off the top of the show that a lot of you are watching live. I know several more of you are going to be either watching or listening on tomorrow morning, Wednesday morning. Um, So some things happen around fall camp time. Things happen. News of injuries come out since we've been on air. But before you listen to it, we're talking about what we know to be true tonight and what we feel to be true. For example, biggest mystery teams in college football actually going to lead the show with that tonight. I was doing a lot of talking. I've done some radio hits that themed around this really had the wheels turning. And that's sometimes a dangerous thing for me, so I got to get it all out. So we're going to discuss. I got five teams. You may have several more than that. Just the biggest mystery, could-go-either-way type teams in 2021. Also, I did not address THE ALLIANCE, all caps, THE ALLIANCE the other night. What is THE ALLIANCE? Is it a pro wrestling faction? No, it is not. It's actually a college football conference faction that could be coming to a TV screen or football field near you. What do we think about it? Well, we'll discuss together momentarily. Also, obviously, as we do every show in August, the latest whispers and intel from fall camps. I'm going two places tonight at least. One, two. Yeah, two places tonight that we have not been. I don't think we've discussed these programs to date this camp season on the show. So we will break new ground tonight. Also, I had a story on this morning's Late Kick Extra podcast that got such great reviews, and I kind of told a sliver of it that I. I've just decided I'm going to tell the whole story tonight. It's about the best road trip, college football related road trip, at least that I've taken because every one of you have a story about your best road trip. So I'm going to give you mine. I would imagine the comment section is going to be very lively on that video afterwards. So thank you for tuning in. Reminder, reminder, reminder. I was talking to one of our marketing guys yesterday, about a 40 minute conversation right out there in the office, which only director Colin and I are allowed in still right now. Soon to change in more ways than one, but I was told that sometimes, since I'm here in this little bubble, I assume things about you that you don't necessarily know. For instance, I assume that everyone just knows what time our show comes on. 8 Eastern, 7 Central, Sunday, Tuesday, Thursday on the 24-7 Sports YouTube channel. Well, not everyone knows that, so that's when it airs. Now, if you're watching right now live, you know that. But here's what you don't know. You don't know that our very existence and keeping this thing free relies on you subscribing to this 24 7 sports youtube channel subscribing to the podcast and here's the most important part sharing it all over the place twitter and instagram but any social platform you're on i've got the number right here as of today 71 percent of our viewers are unsubscribed to the channel gotta change it gotta change it i'm asking nicely of course i make it sound a little more dire than it is I would like to change that. So, like the videos, subscribe. Again, this does not trick any. It's not some bait and switch. We don't fill your inbox with spam mail once you do it. That's all. Just do it and then dust off your hands and know that you contributed to what we hope to be a worthwhile cause. So, that and sharing all over the place and tagging me when you do, that really helps. Thank you for that. And with that in mind, let's dive into the show tonight. I want to know who your mystery teams are for 2021. I got count them five. That I want to go over right now. The first one I want to start with is Texas because there are some things happening in Austin, Texas, even as you and I sit here and speak on this Tuesday evening. If you're watching live, I had a question that was submitted for the late kick extra podcast, which I record every Tuesday and Thursday. You can find that in the podcast feed right now. But the question was, have you seen Texas schedule? What if they start two and five, which I don't think is going to happen. But here was the reasoning the emailer said they play Louisiana. We all know that that's a very solid team. Uh, They go to Arkansas. You see the schedule here if you're watching on YouTube in week two. Those are both tough games. They got Rice, so generally you expect to beat food. But then you've got Texas Tech, went to overtime with them last year. They go to TCU, a team that just outright beat them last year. And then they got Oklahoma, lost to them. they will be a double-digit dog to them in all likelihood. And then they've got Oklahoma State after Red River. And they went to overtime against them last year, and Oklahoma State will be coming off a bye week. So certainly the emailer is saying, all these games aside from Rice, they're losable. What if they start two and five? Well, my question is, what is that up to? Seven? What if they start four and three? Four and three would be terrible. In a Texas fan's mind, four and three would be terrible. So I don't think they're going two and five. So let's throw the disaster scenario out the window. There are two ways this is going to go, and this is what I wanted to circle back around to and talk about what's happening today. Remember when we were talking on the Sunday show about the quarterback situation at Texas, and I asked you to keep an eye on how Steve Sarkeesian and his offensive staff started to divide reps. And the guess was, if we saw that decidedly shift in these practice reports coming into this week, then you're probably looking at a decision being made. Well, guess what's happened, friends? The reps have started to shift and not in the way of Casey Thompson who would probably be listed as your favorite in a lot of the preview magazines. No, it's Hudson Card, according to Horns 24-7 and our guys on the ground in Austin there, taking a majority of the first-team reps with Texas past couple of practices, not just today. Now, they, should be noted, have an open practice tomorrow. A lot of speculation, mostly of the wild variety out there, that this is just a classic setup. I think um, there are 99 problems on Steve Sarkeesian's mind, but setting up the fans to fool him at fan day, not one of them. I don't quite think that's lyrical in nature, but I don't think that's what's going on. There are a couple of ways this goes, and this is what would concern me if you asked me my biggest concern with Texas in 2021. Stated it the other night. I'll restate it before we move on. I don't think, no matter which quarterback gets picked here, I don't think they're going to have a smooth takeoff into the season. I just don't think it's realistic to expect Texas to outright roll Louisiana and then go into Reynolds Razorback Stadium and roll Arkansas. I just, it would be great in an ideal world. That's how it would happen for Texas. I don't think that's how it's going to happen. So if they win both those games, we don't have big problems, but if they lose one or God forbid, both of them, you've got huge problems because you are not established. Your coaching staff has not established itself there. The culture has not had time to take root. And here's the problem. If there is not a quarterback who snatches this job by the throat, and makes it obvious, like I said the other night, not just to the staff, but to everybody, to where everybody's on board with the decision, no matter what the outcome is, everyone's on board. If you don't have that happen, then the guy you put out there is just the guy you put out there. There's not going to be consensus in your locker room. There may not even be consensus on your staff, Although outwardly, they'll say the right things. And the moment the wheels get wobbly on the car, the first thing people want to ask is, why aren't we playing the other guy? Now, hopefully your coaching staff doesn't do that. But what will happen is some of the fan base will do that. This is not a Texas thing. This is a college football thing. Uh, Some of the local beat will do that. That's not a Texas thing. That's a college football thing. But here will be the Texas problem. Dare I say conundrum, if and when that arrives that can seep into your locker room. Not from the outside. It may be in there the whole time. And here's how it normally happens. It's normally not your leaders. It's it's not the guys starting. It's the guy who's running with the twos at outside linebacker who thinks he should be running with the ones. And they're looking for anything they can do in that locker room to start to curry some folks to their side they're already a little bit bitter this happens on every team you got some folks bitter who think they should be starting and they're not and the first opportunity they see when things go sideways to start getting in people's ear and saying hey i should be starting i'm not That quarterback should be starting he's not either that stuff festers you know it because you've seen it happen long before sark ever got to texas That would be my biggest concern with them. So, this this is not a bunch of, this is not a bakery. This is not a bunch of cupcakes they play right off the bat. So, yes, I'm watching that very closely. What I hope is that that coaching staff watched the film from the scrimmage, which we didn't get to do, and they saw Hudson Card start to make big time moves, and he is decisively taking the job. That's what I hope is happening. How about Penn State? The big mystery team here, too. Now, this is not a mystery in and of itself as to why I would put them here. Penn State fans seem to be in what I call a trust but verify mood. They don't doubt the coaching staff. They don't doubt the level of athlete on the roster. They don't doubt that they can win most every game on their schedule. They could even paint you a picture. They could even carve you a path through Columbus, Ohio, where they come out with a whim. Unlikely, but possible. But every other game on their schedule, yes, they believe they could win it. And for the record, I believe they could win every other game on the schedule. So it's trust, but verify. You trust you got a quality team. You trust your coaching staff. You also trust the new offensive coordinator, Mike Yursich, And you trust that you can reasonably explain away the result in 2020. All these things you trust, but you gotta verify it. That's the second part. And verification is gonna start very early. Here you see the schedule. They are not favored. They are a dog at Wisconsin in week one. I could go on and on, but I just want to stop there. September 4th, I don't think people fully understand how wild the swing will be coming off that game. That's going to be a competitive game. You lose that one 24-20, win it 24-20. In reality, you probably played to about the same level. The outcome's what matters. We all understand that. That's the name of the game. Think about the swing. If you're a Penn State fan and you beat Wisconsin 24-20, You beat them as a dog on the road. Then you get to come home, and you got Ball State coming in. Then you got the whiteout game. Then you got Nova. We're starting 4-0. We're going to be 4-0 when Indiana comes in here to get our get back on them. That swing this way. Swing that way is you lose 24-20, 27-17. And then you go into immediate wounded animal mode, and no matter how well you played and how hard you fought, there is that memory in the back of your mind that sneaks into the front of your mind that... This is how last year started. We started last year, and it doesn't matter if you're competitive. If it's a giant L instead of a giant W, look at how it started. We're showing you the record right now. L, 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 L. Boy, how quickly, by the way. One L became two L's, became four L's, became five L's, and so that creeps into the front. Well, here's what that does. Think about the swing here. From the win against Wisconsin, and you got the whole world at your fingertips, to losing against Wisconsin, And there sneaks in the mystery because wouldn't you know it, it could be by week three when Auburn comes in there, you find yourself, however this works out, by the third week of September in must-win mode, in what our buddy J.C. Sherbert would call a wounded animal mode. How's that possible? Well, college football is how it's possible. This is a big mystery team, the Penn State Nittany Lions. LSU is probably the entire poster child of a program for mystery team in 2020. Or 21, not 20. We, we know what we got in 2020. You cover LSU. You follow LSU very close. It's easy to get drunk on LSU. For that matter, it's easy to get drunk at LSU. But on LSU is when you start to look at the team, you start to look at all these shiny pieces. You remember a vast majority of the names from the recruiting world. If you follow recruiting, you just, they go off your radar and then they come back on the radar and you say, I remember that guy. Oh, I remember that guy. That's kind of what it's like looking up and down LSU is too deep. Max Johnson, it's very easy to remember his gamer mentality going into the swap and doing what they did last year, and then he finishes it with a bang against Ole Miss. It's very easy to look at this really healthy mixture they have of veteran guys, more veteran guys like Keyshawn Butte, who's just going to, he's going to explode on the national scene this year. And then younger guys who we talked about the other day, making big moves, Brian Thomas, Malik Neighbors very easy to look at that wide receiver stable and say, yep, those are guys we can go into battle with. It's very easy to look at guys like Eli Ricks, who stands the chance, by the way, because he's playing opposite side of the field as as, uh, Derek Stingley this year, to probably rise up draft boards. He'll have another year, but to rise up draft boards and rise up those national player rankings and All-American rankings as much as anyone. But you got Ricks and Stingley and McLaughlin. It's Allie Gay. It's very easy to look at their defense. And say, I buy into all this. Yes, yes, thus, the ability to get drunk on this team. But you know what else you can do? Here is the mystery. You can also look at that offensive line and you can say, I don't know, because I got to, hold on, I got to cross Dare Rosenthal off. I I see these names. I don't know if they can play championship caliber football. I don't know if they can play 10-win caliber football. I just don't know yet. You can look at the names in the backfield, at the tailback position. And you can remember, because I even feel this way, the immense potential you think Price and Emory have. You can think that, but it's kind of like we talked about with Penn State. You trust it, but then you got to see it verified, and you haven't seen it verified yet. You can also you can look around. I think it's totally fair to ask, well, with all the uncertainty from last year and what we didn't see from them last year and the lessons that that team didn't learn last year, do I trust them to finish games? I don't know. I don't. I think it's very fair at the very least to ask that. That's what makes LSU 2021 a mystery team to me. Now I want to go, stay in the West, but I want to go up the road a little bit to Oxford, Mississippi. Uh, this team's not that big of a mystery to me. It's not a team I expect to contend for a national championship or a playoff spot necessarily. But the Ole Miss Rebels are not ranked in the AP poll I saw the other day. And that's garbage. Uh, so I would ask anyone this. If you got a vote out there, and you voted Ole Miss outside the top 25, let's just pick a name, uh, Coastal Carolina. I picked Coastal Carolina out of thin air. They are ranked. If I arranged a charity bowl between these two teams and they're playing this Saturday, it is Ole Miss, it's Coastal Carolina, you have to put your next year's paycheck on the outcome. Who are you choosing to win the game? None of you, well, let me scratch that far less than 50% of you are choosing Coastal Carolina to win the game. Yet you ranked them. You didn't rank Ole Miss. That's fine. Let me tell you what you can set your watch to. You can set your watch to week three coming, Ole Miss being 3-0, going into a bye week and looking at that trip to Tuscaloosa and then week four arrives and you got Ole Miss coming in. They're ranked way inside the top 20. Bama's probably still number one in the country. We'll see. Maybe still number one in the country. And you'll be asking, instead of could this lead to Ole Miss being ranked, you'll ask yourself, Could Ole Miss lose competitively today and still rise in the rankings? I think that's what you'll be asking. They open against Louisville. It's going to be a good competitive game in Atlanta. It's a standalone game. It's Labor Day night. I think they'll win the game. And at that point, you won't have to worry about whether they're ranked or not. They will be at that point. Last team I want to look at here is Iowa. Have we spoken a lot about Iowa? No, we haven't. We've spoken some about Iowa State. There's a lot of internal excitement at Iowa right now about the quarterback position. Now, Iowa is a contender in the Big Ten. Uh, I think they're off the national radar, but they're off the national radar because you really think of Iowa, you don't think they have enough explosive ability offensively. Well, that's all well and good. They've, they've earned that reputation. I get why you think that Spencer Petras is the starting quarterback here. Let me take you through last year for him last year. He doesn't get spring because no one got spring in the big Ten, And then despite the fact that he himself did not contract COVID, he had to quarantine for 30 days, thus missing summer workouts. And you know what the start of the Big Ten season was. It's like watching a plane bounce on the runway four times before it finally gets off the ground. I would say more like a crop duster with duct tape around one of the propellers. And watching that thing bounce down a South Georgia all-dirt runway, and it it barely gets off the ground. That was Big Ten season last year. And, and the pilot, all the while, was trying to sabotage the flight. So Spencer Petras was what he was last year. They have seen quantum improvement from him in camp. And they're very happy that the passing game has been a little more efficient than they thought it would be. Still got a ways to go. Overthrow here, overthrow there. They think he's going to be very good. Petrus is a huge kid. So physically, there's no need to develop. It's all a mental thing. It's all a precision and accuracy and timing and decision-making thing. They think he's a lot closer than maybe you'd be led to believe if you just listen out there in the college football ether. Uh, Pay attention to this team. They open against Indiana and they go to Iowa State in week two. So for better or for worse, a lot of the book will be written on them because look at that schedule. Those are two tough games. Those are two top 20 ranked teams, according to the fabled AP poll, at least. Who knows where the JP poll will have those teams? We may have Iowa State number one. You got to be careful with Iowa State. But after that, you know, they kind of go off the radar. Kent State, Colorado State, Maryland. But you'll either know about them and have a national profile by then, or you will have already tossed them aside by then. So those are the five mystery teams I'm paying attention to. Not an exhaustive list. I'm sure I'll get some other submissions, but those are five I'm looking at. We have to talk alliance. We have to talk alliance because you want me to talk alliance. I got several emails about this. I haven't got some texts and I don't give the iJosh number out very liberally. So a lot of you have asked me, what do you think about this whole alliance deal? Well, what do you do when someone goes and does something that you yourself are very envious of? What do you do when someone goes and does something that you've tried to do already and they just out executed you? Do you applaud? Do you stand back and admire from a distance? Do you watch, take careful notes and then try and one up them? Or do you just get really salty and go find a bunch of salty friends and form an alliance? That's what it seems for the moment, the Pac-12, the ACC and the Big Ten have decided to do. And some of you are out there living your lives like season one, episode four of The Office doesn't even exist. And so I got a quote for you guys. I want to tell you exactly how alliances end. This is how it always ends. Do I feel bad about betraying Jim? Not at all. Hope you're listening. That's the game. Convince him we're in an alliance. Get some information throw him to the wolves. That's politics, baby. Get what you can out of someone, then crush them. I think Jim might have learned a very valuable lesson. Dwight K. Schrute in a blonde wig. Alliances never work out the way you think they're going to, because really, at the end of the day, we're all chasing the same thing around here, and it's not in great numbers. It's not in in, in high volume. It's a commodity, we're looking at TV money, there's a finite supply of it. We're looking at championships, there are a finite supply of them. But that's okay, cause on the front end alliances sound great. So many have asked my thoughts on this and here's the way I've looked at it. I've asked myself, why don't Burger King and Wendy's team up to take down McDonald's? Makes all the sense in the world, right? McDonald's is the king out there and so you got Burger King, you got Wendy's. Together, they could take them down. Why doesn't that work? It's To a fifth grader, it sounds like it makes all the sense in the world. Why wouldn't Delta and American team up, take down United? Why would they not do that? It makes all the sense in the world, right? And then once you've taken taken Delta down and once you've taken American down, well, then you can fight for it amongst yourselves. This was illustrated perfectly leading into the WWF breakdown pay-per-view in 1998. Even Vince McMahon couldn't make it work. You got Stone Cold as your champion, and you got to get the belt off of him by any means possible. So what do you do? Well, you take The Undertaker and Kane, who are brothers in cahoots, by the way, and you put them in a triple threat. What did they do? They both covered Austin at the same time. So you couldn't even script an alliance to work out the right way, much less have it work out in real life. What are the particulars here? If you've not been following this story because you've been following camp, here's what's going on. Essentially, what we have here is the SEC threatening to suck all the air out of the room, and that's been well documented by this point. But then you have the fear that Amongst ourselves, isolated in the Big Ten and the Pac-12 and the ACC, we stand to lose everything and gain nothing and we really can't push back, but together we can. And so there is strength in numbers. Blah, 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 yada, yada, yada. Big 12, sorry, grab your gift bag at the door, you're out of here. That's essentially the formula that's been laid out here. So what is the leverage point? Because if you're going to form an alliance You got to have something that you are working to keep from the adversary or the predator, as the Washington state president has so aptly described the SEC. He's not wrong, necessarily. Greg Sankey fired back today, but he's not wrong. I think a lot of folks have it at the very tip of their tongue that, oh, well, they can get together and they can keep this expanded playoff from the SEC. No, friends, the SEC would have about the same reaction I just did if you posed that. They don't care. I don't think Greg Sankey's BSing you when he says, nah, we'll stay at four, we're fine. You guys are the ones who want to expand, not us. So they're not keeping that. I don't think the alliance, all caps, henceforth, is keeping anything from the SEC. I think they're maintaining a seat for themselves, maybe, to a little bit bigger degree than they could individually. And to that point, it may work out. But what we're really talking about here, and it's boring, so I don't spend a whole lot of time on it, is we're really talking about strength in numbers when it comes to scheduling. Now this... If you can work together, and that's a big if, it does pay off in the end because the Big Ten or the ACC or the Pac-12 looks down the road when they re-up their TV deals, which never happen congruently. They all happen at different times. And they ask, well, what if we had at least a scheduling alliance? I'm all on board with that and everyone else should be too. If you've got the ACC and the Big Ten working together, and so instead of me having to watch UNLV go to play Michigan any given year. I can watch North Carolina go to play Michigan. I'm on board with that. I think a lot of TV networks will be on board with that, but it sounds great. It sounds very good. It's like when you're drafting a team in your fantasy baseball league, it's just as easy as click and you drafted the guy. Well, that's not the real world, nor is this the real world, nor is taking a pizza box, turning it upside down and drawing schedules out on the back of it. That's not really how it works. So let me ask you, your TV deals up in three years, mine's up in five years. How are we going to sync them up? Are are we going to evenly distribute revenue? Even though my product is worth 35% more than yours, according to what the market dictates, am I just going to voluntarily cede that money to you? Uh, If I'm running things, I'm not. I'll just be honest with you. I'm not. And here's the other question. The other question, this is the great unknown to me, is are we thinking in an antiquated manner? about future media rights deals? Are we thinking in a manner of Fox is going to sign this conference, CBS is going to sign that conference, ESPN is going to get that conference. In other words, could there be a revolutionary new age media framework on the horizon, the likes of which we can't even describe? When you first subscribe to Netflix, which I did when I was like coming out of high school, and you went in the queue And you ordered and they sent you the DVD and the little sleeve in the mail. If I were to have explained to you what Netflix was going to become, you would have dismissed me from the room. But yet that's what it became. And so college football TV deals now versus what they'll be 10 years from now. There could be something on the horizon. Every bit as revolutionary relative to what we have now as the current Netflix is revolutionary relative to what it used to be when it was first a mailing service. So who knows? but I do think it is a good idea in principle, but then you get in the nuts and bolts and it's really tough to figure out. And all the while, you got the poor Big 12 that's just kind of out there on an island, even though they're not close to water in the middle of the country. And I have no clue. I was doing radio in in Big 12 country today and we put three of our heads together to try and come up with an answer and we were no closer at the end of the call than we were at the beginning. Good call, good fun, but no closer, were we? So that's where the alliance stands right now. I guess I... I say that to say, you see the reason I did not really go with it on the Sunday show. Sometimes I have a very firm grasp before I'm leaning. Sometimes I have, at least I hope to have, a very firm feel on where things are headed. I don't know where that's headed. I really don't. So those are my feelings. They're very fragmented at the moment.
1: Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes.
0: I've got a little more grip on this, though. Camp, Whispers, and Intel, lot going on. Tennessee is where I want to start because you lambasted me or basted me, either or, because we didn't talk about the Vols quarterback situation the other night, which I apparently promised I'd talk about every show. Well, let's pick it back up. Uh, when we last left off, we were talking about smart money here, smart money there. Well, now it looks like there is some, some real smart money in the room. There has not been an announcement out of Knoxville about the starting quarterback but it's pretty safe to say, based on multiple good sources, there Joe Milton is the leader in the clubhouse for this job. Joe Milton, the Michigan transfer, this means something. I was listening to the Govals twenty four seven pod today, and those guys were talking about probably the pecking order at quarterback. Again, nothing's been announced, but they were talking about the pecking order at quarterback right now. And not only is Joe Milton the overwhelming favorite to take the starting job, but then Hendon Hooker is in all likelihood the leader in the clubhouse to take that number two spot. So think about what I just said. Harrison Bailey was the guy who's been on campus for a couple of years now. Maurer's not really figured into this all that much. But Harrison Bailey's been there. And Hendon Hooker got there in the spring. Joe Milton didn't even get spring. And yet those are the two guys, which goes to show you, the job really was so wide open that a guy could come in after you two have already had spring with a new staff and I'm going to come in cold and I'm still going to take the job. It looks like that's what we're on the precipice of seeing happen. And so that's exciting. Now here's the second part. The other thing that they were talking about on the Govals pod today is do we know how to interpret Josh Heupel yet? Head coach of Tennessee. Do we really know how to interpret him? Cause he sounds pretty positive. Some coaches out there are brutally honest. Some of them could be three and seven and make the team sound like they've just been micro inches away here and fractions of an inch away there. Uh, No one really knows how to um, judge Josh Heupel yet. Says good things, claims good things are happening. He likes this, he likes that. And yet, you know, your expectations are very low for Tennessee. And so someone's wrong there. Who is it? Are you being misled? Time will tell. How about Florida? Stay in the SEC East for a second. Dan Mullen... Speaking about the latest scrimmage in Gainesville, a few things caught my ear. Some of them were the actual words that came out of his mouth, but a lot of it's just the tone and tenor. Emory Jones at quarterback, uh, one of the biggest talking points down in our neck of the woods in the SEC. Uh, Emory Jones at quarterback and what to expect, and it's not just that in a vacuum. It's what to expect from an offense that loses generational talent, like Kyle Pitts, for example. T- losing Tony's a big deal, but losing Kyle Pitts is a massive deal. But it's not always the end of the world if you have someone or if you have production that can fill that spot. So the assembled media down in Gainesville, they've been asking Dan Mullen, not so much do you have a replacement for Kyle Pitts, but do you have a way to replace that production? So if you take just what Dan Mullen said, you don't go off any rumor or speculation, you just take what Dan Mullen said, you start to paint yourself a picture of what this team's gonna be like. And when you listen to him, Dan Mullen being him, when you listen to Dan Mullen talk about the skill set of Emory Jones and he talks about how tight end and wide receiver, know it may not be at the level we had last year, but our running back position, we feel way better than we did in 2020. And we know that we have a different skill set at quarterback with Emory Jones. We're going to use his full allotment of skills. Basically what that translates to is obviously a really different looking offense, but it sounds to me like they believe it's a framework they can win with. Now, if we were to hit the rewind button 15 years and we were going into, let's say, the 2006 season, that's the kind of framework that a lot of eventual BCS and national championship contending teams went with. Today doesn't sound like that so much. You want a guy that can stretch the defense vertically. You want two or three stud receivers at least, and it's just, it's wide open. Well, Florida's offense, not gonna be wide open this year. But still, I'm willing to meet you in the middle If you're Dan Mullen, you're telling me all that. I'm willing to meet you in the middle. But if we're going to lean heavily on the run game, then you have to answer this question for me. Is your offensive line up to it? And I know my friends over on the Swamp 24-7 message board who fill my DMs with such lovely messages day in and day out. I know they shudder when I mention the offensive line. And you should. Dan Mullen himself gave about the biggest non-answer answer answer I've ever heard when when asked about offensive line development and recruiting, and he him hawed his way around it. I don't know, man. That's a giant question mark. And so the Florida offensive line, if someone out there could reasonably lead me to expect that that unit's going to perform above expectation level, I'd feel good. I think Florida could be competitive. I don't feel that yet, and therefore, I'm not sure how competitive Florida can be on the national scene is what I'm talking about. I mean, that's the standard at Florida. Now I want to go to a place I'm not sure we've spoken about a lot, Salt Lake City, Utah. Yep. Um, They believe they have two quarterbacks they can win with. I'm going to pause because we don't say that a lot. Ohio State probably believes this. Um, Definitely Oklahoma believes that. Utah believes genuinely now. This offense has two quarterbacks they can win with. Cam Rising was the guy who was already there last year, and then Charlie Brewer famously transfers in from Baylor and goes 15 for 15 in the spring game. It's the most quoted spring game stat line of all time, any program. Can you ever tell me any other quarterback stat line from a spring game that you remember? Charlie Brewer, 15 for 15. Live in infamy in Salt Lake City, especially if he locks down the starting job and they win the Pac-12 South which I'm very close to predicting both of which to happen. So I was reading Blake Brockermeyer's camp notes on 247sports.com today. And it was very timely because I wanted to talk about Utah. So here's what he was talking about. He kind of waited till today to soak in some information from different sources around the country. And he was speaking about the overall expectation level at Utah. They are very, very experienced. And the reason I mentioned that is not to automatically tell you that means you're going to win X number of games. They're not in this in this rapid, frenetic pace of installing new concepts and trying to get true freshmen up to speed, they got the concepts. They've got the guys that they know they're gonna go into battle with. It's largely the same crew they played with last year. What they've been able to do because of that is they've been able to split more rep time, but they've also been able to fine-tune parts of this team, and they've been able to add layers onto the offense. Their passing game at Utah this year is going to look unlike anything you've probably seen at Utah in quite a while. Now, what does that mean? Well, it probably means that when you watch Utah play some games and they're competitive, but they can't get over the hump enough, they don't have enough skill, in other words, when the the games that are one possession or single-digit spread start stacking up one after the other after the other. Utah can win any one of those games, but they can't go on a run. They can't go on a tear. They can't stretch a win streak because they don't have The passing element. Well, they have that. I think they're going to have that, and they think they're going to have that this year. If they do, that, to me, is the team to beat in the Pac-12 South, above and beyond even USC, above and beyond Arizona State. That's what stands in the way with them. And remember, for all the scheduling dynamic advantage that Southern Cal has in the South, they got Utah as Utah comes off a bye. It's the toughest spot of the season for uh, USC. So i just be careful with Utah. I really like them. I mean, they were ranked 24th yesterday in the AP there are not 24 better teams in the country to start the year than Utah. And lastly, you guys better spread this segment all over the place. You ask me all the time, why don't you talk about the G5 more? Why don't you talk about G5 teams? Let's talk about a G5 team. The Cincinnati Bearcats are in a unique position, the likes of which no other G5 team has really ever found itself in because they have sky-high expectation level to start the year. They're already in the top 10 to start the year. I think they debuted number seven and you can tell me all you want to, the AP doesn't matter. It matters. It shapes perspective. It matters. The overall depth on this team is paramount this year because it's as good as pretty much any G5 team you're going to find out there. They got really, really good depth. I was reading Blake's stuff about, he had a lot of good stuff about Cincinnati in his report today too, and he was talking about their last scrimmage. And how they feel very good They've been able to rotate offensive linemen Wide receivers Got some extra DBs Some work the other day They've got an established quarterback They've got an established pedigree This is not new territory For any of those folks I mean they were already right on the brink last year So they felt the heat The question becomes With them having the kind of target on their back That they never have and, And also being the kind of team That played some close games last year anyway Can they go wire to wire? If they do it, including wins, as you see on the schedule right here, back to back. Indiana and Notre Dame on the road, both of them back to back. You beat them and you win that conference, this team's going to the playoff. I have very little doubt about that. The rest of the country, you ask, well, what if this team's undefeated, that team's undefeated? It'll work itself out. If Cincinnati's undefeated, that team's going to the playoff. That's the latest Camp Whispers and Intel. Remember, we got second scrimmages coming up for a lot of programs, so you're going to want to. Keep it locked in here Thursday, and then especially that Sunday show. We're going to have a mountain of information on that Sunday show. I think that Sunday show is going over an hour. If I had to bet right now, I think it's going over an hour. You know, now that I think about it, we, mm, can't make the announcement. I think we have some special things coming for you Sunday, uh, some very unusual things for our show, possibly coming Sunday. And if it doesn't work out, I'll let you know what it was going to be. Okay. So I'm stacking the Late Kick Extra podcast. I was in here recording it late last night and I saw a question come across the feed and it was, what is your favorite college road trip of all time? Now I got some good ones because I've traveled to cover the sport for a little while and I got a real good one from 2017. Some of you were sharing yours. I'm going to share mine with you. I was working in the local news world down in Columbus, Georgia. It was 2017 and I was doing uh, high school sports on Fridays. I was a news anchor down there, was the sports director at WLTZ. And so I'm doing high school football on Fridays. I cover college football on Saturdays. Then we do what would become late kick at the time we called it football nightly down South. And we're doing that on Sundays. Same time we do this show now, eight Eastern, seven Central. So let me hit you with this little itinerary. I want you to think this one out loud with me. September, what was it, Colin, the 20th or the 21st? It was week three of the 2017 season. Georgia has a road trip to Notre Dame. Now we're lucky in Columbus because we could reasonably get credentialed to Georgia games, Auburn games, and Alabama games, Florida state games, and Florida games, and Clemson games, and South Carolina games. We're just right there where we could justifiably apply to all of them. And we got credentialed to all those. So it's a perfect spot to be. So we get approved for the Notre Dame game, Georgia at Notre Dame. Once in a lifetime trip, it hardly ever happens. Those out of conference games. Remember, Everyone's scheduling big out of conference now. They hadn't been doing it for a long time down south. And so we get credentialed. Here's the problem the problem is, I have to be back by Sunday. I mean, that game's a 7 30 p.m. Eastern time kickoff in South Bend, Indiana. Got to be back 24 hours later. It's a 12 hour trip each way. How are we going to pull it off? So I ask one of the meteorologists there, henceforth to be named Bear, and Another PA, henceforth to be named Minion. I ask him if you can come and help split the driving duties. I'll get you credentialed. So they say yes, and I get him credentialed. So here we go. We are doing high school football on Friday night. We anchor it. We get off air at eleven thirty-four and thirty seconds. That's the exact time we got off air when we were doing high school football. Go home. Get about one or two hours of sleep, maybe max. And then we load up the equipment and here we are taken off from Columbus, Georgia, which for those unfamiliar is about an hour South of Atlanta. And we're taken off to go to South Bend, Indiana, no rest, no stops, no hotel, no nothing. It's 12 hour, roughly a 12 hour straight shot. And that's going from Columbus through Birmingham, through Nashville, through Louisville, through Indianapolis all to South Bend. It's like 65 most of the way until you get to Indiana. And so you got some game day traffic that stretches. it. So let's call it a 13 hour trip. We got there at about 5 PM game kicks off in two and a half hours. And so we get in Notre Dame stadium, which in and of itself is just an experience. You get to go see touchdown Jesus. You get to go and see all the things that you've only seen on TV if you grew up in rural Georgia. So that was awesome. So then I pull out the iJosh. Josh, not this one. This one's new, but the old iJosh. I'm in Notre Dame stadium. If you don't remember this, Half of the state of Georgia made this trip. Every one of them were in red. So I told Jesse this morning, Welcome Back Jesse, by the way, not to be confused with Welcome Back Cotter, that would probably be a better show. Welcome Back Jesse would be an even better movie. And I said, Jesse, I got some iJoss footage. Can you roll it? He said, you send it, I'll roll it. So he's got some. So the first piece of footage I want to show you, I sneak up in Notre Dame Stadium, I go up into like the second level, and the scene was crazy. There was like a mob scene outside. As Georgia's team arrives... There's wall-to-wall red. This is not a home game in Athens, mind you, and this is not some rando side entrance for the visiting team. This is just the main entrance at Notre Dame Stadium, and you can see a splattering of green and maybe a splattering of blue out there, but by and large, it was just red, and it was a crazy scene outside. So what I wanted to do is get there early, soak as much of it in as possible, but remember how this game went. So again, once-in-a-lifetime opportunity for us, and you hope to see a close game. This is Jake Fromm's first start. Quarterback for Georgia goes down a week before. Jake Fromm inserted as a true freshman. His first start is on the road at Notre Dame. Georgia ends up winning the thing 20-19, to 19, and every time there's a commercial break, you do what I'm doing right now if you're watching on YouTube. You try and capture as much of the scene as you can post-game. You're trying to capture as much of the scene as you can. No one was in a hurry to leave this field after this game, as you can see, again, if you're watching on YouTube, dudes standing outside, uh, just walking around the end zone, going down to the student section, going down to their uh, visitors section. But you know what it was like? And I thought about this several times. I remember some of my thoughts during the game. When I was a kid and I was growing up, there were, there were like really old VHS tapes of like old Georgia games or old Bama games, several of Bryant's games in the 60s and the 70s and you'd watch them, and these are people who in some cases have long since passed away before I've been born. Obviously, the games are in another era, but I I watched it like if USC were to come into Legion Field in Birmingham, Sam Cunningham in tow, and you're watching that game. That doesn't even feel like it's the same reality you're living. This is another world. I felt during that game like I was kind of in a VHS, not in a literal sense, but I felt like I'm, I'm part of something right in this moment. There I am on TV in the orange shirt. I'm on the field taking part in something this moment that people who are my age at the moment will show kids 30, 40 years from now, hey, this is when Georgia went to Notre Dame. This was a rare thing. And so I felt that So we were in no hurry to leave. So after the game, we go to Brian Kelly's press conference. We go to Kirby Smart's press conference But then when we get done, as is usually the case, I'm never in a hurry to leave the stadium because I don't like sitting in gridlock traffic. So what I like to do a lot, and this is a pattern I do every time, but especially at Notre Dame, what I did is I just go back out in the crowd, I go up in the bleachers, I take a couple of laptops with me, and the iJosh in this case, and I just sit. And that's exactly what I did. This shot right here is an empty Notre Dame stadium what other walk of life could you find yourself in this very position at that very moment? That's what I'm thinking as I'm shooting this. And so sit there, watch some games wrap up. You're watching highlight footage from the day, trying to start to get your show put together for the next night because of what comes next. So you mosey your way back to your car. We got out of there about one or one thirty. straight shot all the way back. The meteorologist and I, Bear and I, we switch places. Minion, who is probably not out of high school at this point, sleeps the whole way. 12 hours, sleeps the whole way. Curled up like, I'm not gonna use that terminology. He's curled up like something in the back and he just sleeps the whole way. So we get back about lunchtime, a little after lunchtime in Columbus and there is no time to sleep because we gotta stack the show. We gotta have a certain standard met too. So we stack that show, we do the show on Sunday night and then I go into complete recluse mode. I hibernate all of Monday. It was like Sunday happened, Tuesday happened, Monday, just a rumor. Don't really even know that anything occurred that day, but it was a very fun trip. And so like I'm thinking, it's only three or four years ago now, but I still look back on it, still talk about it all the time. I mean, the buddies I'm discussing right now will probably light up my phone before I even get off air, but I would encourage you guys. So now that obviously we've got things opening back up a little bit, uh, I, I have a lot of folks ask me, should I take this trip? Should I take that trip? I don't know what your finances are. I don't know what your schedule is. I'm saying if you could even reasonably swing some of this stuff, always buy the memory. The memory is what's worth its weight in gold. Because we had to foot the bill for some of this stuff. Even though I was working in media, it was not exactly a, a trip that the station was ready to fund fully. And that's its own separate story that we can't tell on air, statute of limitations and all. But I don't regret for a second paying for any of it. What I very, very much am happy we did is you got the memory to take home with you. So if you are a fan of a program this year, if you're an LSU fan and you guys are playing at UCLA, go. If you can go, go. I mean, if local ordinances allow you to, go. I mean, if you're one of these teams that gets to play like Oregon, go into Ohio Stadium, go into Ohio State, go. Go go see the horseshoe. You don't ever know if you're going to be able to do that again. I always encourage it. And if you can find a couple of quarters to rub together to pay for gas, make it happen. And, and I would also tell you this, you never know what kind of benevolent souls may be out there in your immediate social circle who are well enough off financially, who themselves regret not taking more trips when they were younger. And they may step up and they may say, handshake, It's not because you're a four-star recruit. That's because I want you to be able to take this trip. Spend that money wisely. You never know. Never hurts to ask is all I'm saying. So I would very much look forward to your own stories about your own road trips. And when this video goes up as an individual video tomorrow on the YouTube channel, I'll be looking forward to it. We are out of time for tonight at the very least. For director Colin, for our entire crew in Fort Lauderdale, I'm Josh Pate. Thanks so much for watching. Make sure you're following on Instagram and Twitter at LateKickJosh. Have a great night and God bless.